0: We're so glad you're here. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to jump into uh, John chapter 2. We're going to read a story. It's actually the story of Jesus' very first miracle. And the title of this sermon today is Your Water is Wine. Your Water is Wine. And I want to show you whether you're aware of it or not, God has taken your average, ordinary life, and he has turned it into something supernatural. Your Water is Wine. And I think it's important for us to understand that uh, the great miracle worker, the Messiah, the king, he changed the water into wine as his first miracle, because that's what he would do for each and every one of us. And I'm so excited to share this message with you. And here's the good news: Kickoff isn't Is it 120? It might be 130, actually. 125, 125. Can anyone answer me that riddle? Why do we do kickoffs at like 1.15, 1.25? I don't know, I don't know. Is that a Fox, like CBS thing? I don't know, 1.25, I don't get it, but we're gonna be cool with it. We are 1.25 kickoff, it's 11.16. There's only about a 45% chance that I preach all the way to kickoff. You know what I mean? So you're pretty safe. Some of you have never been here before. You're like, oh dear God, is he serious? <laughs> and why is he wearing a red leather jacket? So. I put this jacket on, and here's the problem with being in this church for so long, okay? I've been here, we we first remodeled this building, uh, I was uh, 18 or 19, um, I'm 42 now, and um, I we this church started when I was 13, so I've been here like my whole life, right? Um, and my mom has a red leather jacket, Pastor Donna, you probably remember, but the prayer team that prays for me, they're back praying right now for our CEO, David Kroll, just praying over him, protection over him, uh, for those that care to know, we, we believe in prayer. But um, so the same group of people have been praying for me since I was 13. Did you know that? It's very bizarre and awesome. Um, but like this prayer team prayed for me like my high school basketball games. I'm not joking. Um, some of you are like, this is getting weird. Not really. It's just longevity and friends, okay? But uh, Miss Joey Nordstrom who I have known since I was 13, literally, looks at me today before she prays for me and she goes, oh, you're wearing your mom's red leather jacket. And and it gets worse. I have known some of the people in this church for way too long. I gotta get a new church. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But... But literally, Rachel Cruz, who has been you a know, friend of ours forever, Rachel comes to me and she, they track down, I should have showed you guys, I don't think we have it, but they track down a photo of my mom's red leather jacket and put it next to mine. They are the same jacket. <laughs> I am not joking. So shout out to my mom. How's my mom doing? She's doing great. Thanks for asking. Very single and available if you have a lot of money. That wasn't supposed to be funny, but um, no, she's doing great. She married for love once, and now we marry for money. That's what I told her, so kind of joking. (laughs) Not much. Not really. Not at all. Okay. Um, All right, so your water is wine. By the way, Amanda Cook is here, one of my favorite singers and musicians, and worship leaders. She's right here. And Amanda, we love you so much. She is going to lead us in music, and melody, and harmony. By the way, the worship service already started, right? All of this is worship. <laughs> okay. All right. right, we'll keep <laughs> I was hoping for a couple of just rousing amens, and you know, and the pastor stops, and no one says anything, and it's like, I do have a red leather jacket on. Let's move on. Okay. John chapter 2 and verse 1, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, "Um, they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? Should be noted, unless you're God, you can't call your mom woman. So anyways, woman, I tried that one time. Have I told you guys the story? This is a hilarious story. I'm 12 years old. We're living in Portland, Oregon, and you're going to hate me for this story, but I have repented it. I'm 42 now, and I don't believe in this at all, but I'm 12 years old. This is the most offensive story I've ever told, okay? So prepare yourself, but I literally, I had no clean underwear. Now, if you know me, I'm really into things being clean. Now, at 12 years old, I wasn't doing my own laundry, okay? All right, everyone go, oh, that's terrible. We get it, all right? So I blame my mom. I stop, I'm in the middle of our house, I'm 12 years old. Now, if anyone knew my dad, my dad was six foot three, he was a quarterback in high school, he was a big man, and he loved his wife, okay, who every once in a while was my mom. I'm kidding, she's always my mom. But I'm standing in the middle of the house and I go, really? 12 years old, such a big mouth. With all, and I have an older sister, keep that in mind. She lives in Vegas, she's a gambler. <laughs> With, Oh, I'm kidding. She's not a gambler. She's a pastor. Um, But wouldn't it be cool if they doubled their church's money all the time? Wouldn't that be a... And like God gave them like numbers. And so they would go to like, you know, casinos. And that was the story of their church. Kind of a cool miracle if, I mean, God's into them. Okay. So some of you are already offended. So I'm 12 years old. I'm standing. Why am I telling this story? What are we doing? Okay. So I'm saying, and I I go, really? I'm so embarrassed to say this. With all the women in this house, you think we'd have some clean underwear. What I'm about to tell you is equally true. I was not comfortably able to sit down for weeks. And if you're wondering if I'm implying a spanking, I'm not implying. I am telling you it hurt. And that was the day I decided I didn't want to go to hell. Because if hell was anything like that spanking, I can't go there, okay? So uh, that's the last time I have ever made that kind of comment. I just want you to know. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Mother. And I wanted to honor my mom today by wearing her jacket. Okay. (laughs) Jesus says to his mom, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, this is such a mom thing. Hey, they don't have any wine. Well, what do I have to do with that? She just ignores her son. And goes, hey, whatever he says, just do it. Okay, I'm his mom. Trust me. <laughs> she goes, whatever he says, just do it. Now there was six stone water jars. Six is the number of man, by the way. Six stone water jars. There for the Jewish rites of purification, holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Six stone jars with water. Six stone. Six, the number of man. This is a picture of man, humanity. Fill the water jars, fill the the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now had become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is the very first signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee. It should be noted, God makes really good wine. Now, if that's all you get today, that could lift your day a little bit, okay? It should be noted. Some of you are offended by this. Uh, It's in the book, okay? Don't blame me, all right? God makes good wine. It is good to know, isn't it though? Like, if God's gonna make wine, he's not gonna make cheap wine. He's gonna make good wine, okay? So good that late in the feast, in the wedding feast, somebody tastes it and they wanna compliment and say thank you, it is so outrageously good. So, last weekend I did a wedding in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I don't do a lot of weddings now, um, but I was going to do this wedding. This a friend of mine who's had an amazing story, and I love him so much, and he said, could, could, could you do my wedding? So I did the wedding, and I was all excited about the wedding. It was outdoors. It was a beautiful setting. You could see Lake Coeur d'Alene in the distance, right? It was, it was, it was magical, right? And so... Um, I, I, had some complications with my wardrobe, uh, my pants didn't fit, I had to get a belt, Yeah, you know, details you probably don't need, just thought maybe you, you were curious. So by the time I get up there, I'm a little, little frazzled. And my friend said, hey, listen, just kind of wing it. We don't want to do anything like official, right? Like dearly beloved, we're gathered here together in the sight of God and these many witnesses, like none of that. It was none, of it was like no, no traditional vows. It was just like wing it. So, so I'm like, <sharp inhale> I've done so many of these, not a problem, right? Except that I get to the very end, and first of all, I forget to pronounce them man and wife. <laughs> it happens, okay, all right. Some of you, your judgmentalness is a little over the top, as if you've done a wedding or two, all right, okay. So I'm like, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, this is right after like they've given each other rings, right? And I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to present to you for the very first official time. Right, I'm doing that part. And the bridegroom stops. And he goes, the bridegroom. I like calling him bridegroom. Did I say that right? Or the groom? Why did I say bridegroom? Is it bridegroom? Is that the official? Well, that's, that's the bride, isn't it? Someone help me here. This is, a real, this is a real moment. This isn't a trick question. Bride and groom. But what's the bridegroom? That's a term used in the Bible anyone have an answer no one okay wow we should study more scripture guys I think that's what we should do okay so anyways the point is the groom not the bride he says to me and he goes hey what about the kiss (laughs) and I totally lied I lied oh I'm a liar now okay I lied one time and I go I didn't forget I totally forgot (laughs) and I go and now for the climactic conclusion. <laughs> and he's looking at me like, bro, you forgot. I was like, and now you may kiss your bride. Everyone cheers and Chelsea was there. She was in attendance, the love of my life. I love doing weddings. For those of you that have ever done weddings and then your spouse is there, it's very romantic, right? Sex is always good after weddings. It's always good after a wedding. It's true, it's just, it's, it's a fact. So I'm eyeing Chelsea already and I'm like, come on. It's just amazing, right? And she comes up to me and she goes, you forgot, didn't you? And I go, and I knew what she said. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. By the way, this story has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just that it was a wedding. There will be no connection whatsoever to the sermon. But she goes, you forgot. I go, I don't know what you're talking about. And she goes, you forgot the kiss? And I said, no, I didn't. And now I'm lying to my wife. I go, no, I didn't. I want to say it to them. She goes, you're full of it. She didn't say anything after that. She said full of it, okay? She's not a cusser. She goes, you're full of it. And I go, okay, I forgot. You're right. I totally forgot. And I was so humiliated. I love weddings. I really do. I think weddings, We had a, uh, I, I wasn't there, but yesterday uh, a dear, dear friend of ours for many, many years got married and I'm just so excited. I love weddings. Weddings are awesome. Here's the good news. Jesus goes to weddings. Now that might seem simple to you and pretty arbitrary, but, but this is how I'm gonna connect that story to the sermon. Are you ready? This is all just coming to me in real time, okay? But, <laughs> but Jesus goes to weddings and here's what encourages me. Um, If I was on a rescue mission to save the world, I'm not sure I would use my superpowers to give the wedding party more alcohol to drink. Is that okay to say? In fact, I'll take it a step further. I don't think most Christians really wrap their arms around the first miracle Jesus did. I don't think we do. I don't think we want to. I don't think we want to claim that the first miracle Jesus ever did was making more alcohol at a party. I don't think anyone wants to say that. We don't even want to say it out loud. We don't even like it. We, so, we you know what we do? Preachers like me use it as metaphor. Water into wine, right? But what's so interesting is that our neighborhood and our friends and our family, if we told them about a God whose first miracle was making more alcohol at a party, they'd probably be like, and what's his name? but we oftentimes have so misrepresented Jesus because of our cultural hangups, connotations, and speed bumps that we don't just let it be what it is. Jesus was at a party. And if you know anything about antiquity, there was no party like a wedding party. By the way, it could last for days. That's what I'm talking about. Let's party for days. It literally could last days. We don't know if this particular wedding was lasting days. We only know of the one day, but in this particular wedding party, the wine runs out. Now, for those doing research on antiquity, wine or alcohol was a sign basically of your affluence or income or revenue. For instance, at wealthy weddings, even if you weren't wealthy, you would save up to have plenty of alcohol to provide for everyone at the party to prove that your family was doing good. It actually was a social status thing for real. So when you were to, if you were to run out of wine, that would be kind of a shot at your family name. You don't want to run out of wine because you invited all these people. Remember all the people you cut out and left on the list? You're supposed to be able to give all them enough wine to drink as much as they want, and now the wine is gone. Family's mortified. Mary says to Jesus, they need more alcohol. And he's like, come on, Mom. That's, 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 I'm not here to show them who I am yet. And she's like, he loves me. Listen, whatever he says, just do it, Okay. Jesus sees the six water pots. He's like, all right, fill them with water all the way to the top, and then take a taste to the, the lead guy, the wedding coordinator. Take him. It'll be good. Now, we don't know when it changed, right? These poor cup holders. Oh, God, oh, God. You know, gives them, and it's, it's incredible wine. Now, the first in Scripture are really important. The first time something happens is really important. For instance, Do you know the first not good in the whole Bible? It's in the Hebrew Bible, in the Genesis account. The first not good is it is not good that man should be alone. The first not good is not good to cuss, nope. Not good to smoke, nope. The first not good in the Bible is isolation. C.S. Lewis reckons that's the definition of hell, isolation. So we are, we are designed as relational connecting beings. And when we don't connect and when we don't relate, it's not good, the Bible says. So one of the big ideas behind congregations and communities is connecting. Now, one of the things we're facing is that we're all filling big buildings, but we're not connecting because the building's tricking us. So that's why some of you started nodding your head like, and Judah, that's why you should be in this church auditorium more because we're trying to connect. And that's why I would turn back on you and say, and that's why you should have your neighbors over more so you should connect, right? Because we, we actually need connection, not just deliberation and speeches. We need connection. How are you? Look me in the whites of my eyes. Ask me hard questions, fun questions. Let's laugh. Let's weep. Let's cry. Let's drink together. Let's be Together, we, we, Jesus is putting us together like living stones. We are interconnected. This is not a sermon about connection, but it certainly is turned into one. Moving back to the wedding. The first miracle Jesus ever did was creating and making more alcohol for a party that had run out. <laughs> that does not sound like the God I learned about in Sunday school at all. Whoa, 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 hold on. Come on, let's just sink in. Let's sit in this just for a couple minutes, okay? You mean to tell me, preacher, that the first miracle, the incarnation of the Godhead, ever performed is not the opening of blind eyes, deaf ears, or the raising of the dead. You mean to tell me that the first miracle Jesus did which also seemed kind of like a reluctant miracle. And all the religious people said amen, amen, amen. He didn't really want to make alcohol. His mom made him. (laughs) (laughs) Insert all the theologians. The alcohol was one, two to three percent alcohol in those days. It was different, Judah. Okay, we hear you. Thank you, you've been heard. You mean to tell me God made alcohol in his first miracle? Now, I've also read books. I've read, you know, there's whole books dedicated to that Jesus, the wine that he made was not alcohol. It was non-alcoholic. You know, there's whole books written about it. That's a fascinating thing to write a whole book on. It, It was not alcoholic. I don't know where we get if it had alcohol or not alcohol, but all I know is wine usually has alcohol. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with alcohol, okay? He made drinks for a party? Why? You know, I'm reminded, you remember that verse, John ten ten. Jesus presents to you life and life in abundance. Life more abundantly. All right, all right, I'm kind of starting to connect. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11? I have plans not to harm you, but to prosper you and give you a future and a hope. All of a sudden, you start putting scriptures together for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Then you recognize that the gospel means good news, not normal news, not average news, not bad news, not judgment news, not apocalyptic news, but good news, positive news, uplifting news, encouraging news, you know, the kind of news that lifts a party. His first miracle is taking the party to the next level. His first miracle Nowhere in here are we promoting drunkenness or anything of the kind. That's not my point. But my point is you need to loosen up a little bit. And I want to prove to you that your sanctified water is already wine whether you know it or not. And God has taken your average, ordinary, six water pot life and he has turned it into something supernatural and a true testimony and trophy of his goodness and his grace. (laughs) That's what he does. That's what he does. Let me read you, um, I think, guys, it's Matthew 16. Is that what it is, Matthew 16, if I have it right? Matthew 9, Matthew, Matthew 9. There it is, there it is, there it is. Neither is new wine, Jesus now speaking, put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. This is another moment where Jesus is likening Israel, the nation that he built, instituted to demonstrate to the earth his goodness, his grace, and the essence of his character. He says, he's saying, Israel is like an old wineskin. And you can't put new wine into an old wineskin because the old wineskin, when it expands because of the alcoholic nature, it will burst and both the wineskin, and the new wine will be lost. So he's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to a new covenant. He's saying, I'm no longer gonna relate to you based on the 10 commandments. I am going to relate to you based on the performance and fulfillment of the commandments in my son, Jesus. And so I'm gonna give you new wine skin so that I can fill it with new wine. And the new wine is your life is not gonna be defined by your morals or your adherence to rules and regulations, but your new life, your new wine, your new experience, your new way to be human will be that you have done bad and done wrong and you have sinned, but now you receive forgiveness, now you receive acceptance, now you receive choosing and identity, and now you are welcomed into the family of God and the kingdom of God, and you have a seat at the table, and you can enjoy the party of freedom from your shame and your guilt. They're out of wine, Jesus. He knows. Trust me. He knows. We're out of wine. Tell you who you are, you're water. I'm water. Just basic, average water. And Jesus turns it in to wine. What I want to do is I want to show you three ways Jesus takes what is average and normal and he turns it into supernatural through what only he can do. See, water into wine also speaks this idea that Jesus has taken mere principles and he's turned them in to the fulfillment and culmination of a person. When I say water into wine, we are not here today handing out water. I'm here today handing out wine. And the reason I'm not metaphorically handing out water is because water is mere man-made principles and anybody can do that. I can tell you to try harder and do better. I can tell you to read your Bible more. I can tell you to pray more. I can tell you to tithe more. I can tell you to fast more. I like my dad's motto though, fasting is good, but eating is better. And somebody say amen. Right? Like I, I'm, I'm we could talk about all of the spiritual disciplines. I can take you to scriptures like the fruit of the spirit, which is real weird because we took the fruit of the spirit and we turned it into the fruit of our discipline. We teach it in Sunday schools. Now, boys and girls, everyone repeat after me kindness, gentleness, self control. There ain't nothing wrong with those things, but what we teach now is not self control, gentleness, and kindness. What we teach is the person who has modeled and fulfilled it all. See, 1 Corinthians 13 is not just about love, it's about the personification of love, which is Jesus. Here's what I love about what's happening to Christianity. We don't have to memorize the Ten Commandments. We just have to know Jesus. We don't have to memorize the fruit of the Spirit. We just have to have the Spirit living within us, producing in us what we cannot produce for ourselves. This is not a memory contest. This is a relationship. But we have been so busy working our water Working our water, we gotta we got make the water good. Ooh, that's some good water. Judah, great speech. It's not the speech, it's not the delivery, it's not the stories, it might be the red leather jacket. But the point is, it is Jesus. It's Jesus, see, water into wine is, See, 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 Israel had lived by rules, and now they were gonna live by relationship. Why are we, why do we keep leaving relationship for rules? And we settle for rules. But the thing about rules is they make our, um, our human brain and body feel good. This is why we like principles. Because principles can make us um, unusually unique and elite. Whoever works the most principles wins. And that oftentimes is what the church becomes. I heard a guy say one, one time on Christian television, he goes, I'll never be sick another day in my life. And then someone accidentally mic'd on camera said, you're sick already. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> that's true. That happened on public Christian television. And I thought, so there it is. N- now, instead of talking about Jesus, we just talk about a principle called faith. So now faith is about having faith. Now, faith is like a necklace we wear to show off how spiritual we are. Once again, we turn it into principles. Holiness. So the goal isn't holiness. The goal isn't faith. The goal, it's, it's Jesus. And if it doesn't get back to Jesus, it's the preaching of principles more than the preaching of a person. For instance, when somebody says to you, how do I do that? Your response should be, follow Jesus. Watch this. John 15. Guys, do you have John 15, verse 26, 25? There it is. When the helper comes, Jesus says, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about, he will bear witness about, he will bear witness about. Wait, What? This is John 15, you know, like the vine, the vine dresser. Remember that one? Abide in me, and or word, abide in you. You are my children, and abide in my love. We did a whole series on it recently. It's, it's a great, but you know, Jesus ends the whole chapter by saying, my Holy Spirit's gonna come, my spirit, my spirit's gonna, my spirit form's gonna be in you and upon you. And here's how you'll know he's active. He will teach you about me, Jesus. Listen, I don't need any more Bible studies that are about the Bible. I know, you're like, he wears one red leather jacket and he thinks he can say anything. I want a church that's about the word. I want a church that's about Jesus. Because Jesus said that he would send his spirit and when his spirit came and we're in the spirit age and the spirit has come, that what he will teach his children about is Jesus. And then it goes on to say, and the children will will bear witness about Jesus. (laughs) Let me predict where the church is going. Let me tell you the the future of the church. Here's where the church is going. We're going to stop defending, and we're going to start just telling the story of Jesus. I'm so serious. I got so many friends like, Genesis is just metaphor. Whatever, bro. There was a man named Jesus. There is more evidence that Jesus lived than Abraham Lincoln and George Washington combined. Let me tell you his name was Jesus. Let me tell you where he was born. Let me tell you about the life he lived. Let me tell you about the prediction of his life. Let me tell you about all the prophecies. Let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you how wonderful he was and how good he is. And let me tell you about the hundreds of people he appeared to. And then he levitated into the clouds and he said he would return. Let me tell you about Jesus. For Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's a person. He's a person. He's a person. And now our whole life is no longer rules. Did you come here for rules today? Or did you come here in celebration and adoration of a romance and a relationship that you have with a person. Can I tell you something wild? Do you know that your relationship with God is uniquely yours? You know what preachers like me never tell anybody? We never tell anybody that God oftentimes will use your personality to connect with you. So I stopped telling people, you should pray like this, you should read your Bible like this, you should do this. I started telling them, listen, God is going to, now listen, I believe the practice of understanding who Jesus is. I believe this is fully and completely God's inspired word. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But even Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees about the Hebrew scripture, he said, you search the scripture for in this you think you have life, but the scripture points to me. So I'm really, really about, I'm actually preaching the Bible right now, by the way. We're using the Bible, so don't send me any emails. I don't read them anyways, that's the truth. Too busy buying red leather jackets. But, come on, we're just having fun. Amanda Cook's here, we're having fun, come on. So he turns your principles into a person which I love because I can't remember all the principles. Yeah. I was reading like Ephesians or Galatians yesterday. I don't want to brag. <laughs> and it started listing like all of these you know, things. And I was like, ah. and I literally had a moment. I was like, God, I can't remember virtue and honesty and integrity. And I'm like, this is a lot of things to remember. And honestly, I felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit say it's Jesus, the fulfillment Is Jesus? You know, that's why we always wonder, like, faith, hope, and love. We're always like, man, love is number one ranked. Love always beats out faith and hope. It's a description of the character of Jesus. And the greatest of these is love. Do you remember when Moses said, God, I want to see you for who you really are? And God's response was essentially this in the Hebrew Bible. He said, oh, that's so cute. You think you can handle all of me. (laughs) You can't. But I'm going to give you a little sliver. Of me. And your whole body's gonna emanate and your face is gonna radiate. It's gonna be super awkward, but you asked for it. <laughs> and you know what it says in the Hebrew Bible? He says, I will let all of my goodness. See, when we say we give God the glory, do you know what we mean? We mean that it's God's goodness that got us here. Glory is goodness. So we're here to, to declare His goodness, not ours. So nobody gets the glory. Is there anyone good among us who can stand up and say, I always do good, I always am good, I always think good, I always desire good, and I always feel good? If so, you get the glory. But for the rest of us, we have all come here today hoping that you don't see all the dumb stuff we do. We got some good moments, and I look around this room, and I know some people with some really good moments. I got to admit, I'm pretty impressed with this church, and I've been here long enough to know, man, there's some good moments there, some good moments, some good moments, good moments, but the glory is his goodness, and his goodness is so good. It made Moses' skin glow. It made, it it almost killed him. It was so perfectly good. God is so good and he wants to do good for you, taking your average, ordinary life and turning it into something supernatural. And now you have a relationship with goodness personified. Enjoy the relationship, enjoy it. I know it sounds silly this morning, but I cranked up, come on Amanda Cook, I cranked up Maverick City, build your church. And I was listening to Naomi who sings on Maverick City and I was yelling in my car, singing Naomi! literally like yelling to Naomi. She lives in Jersey, for goodness sake. I'm like, sing. She's like, build your church, build your church. And I'm like, yeah. And you know what? None of you were there to tell me I can't connect with God like that. And I loved it. And I was shouting. I was weird. And you weren't there because you were asleep. And I was up early because I'm a man of God. And I was just screaming to God, let's go, God. I mean, I see all these football players get all excited about playing football in a stadium, and I'm like, no, this is the Lord's day. You know, like, let's go. Build your church. I just want to be a part of the football team so bad. You know, like, I start wearing pads. You guys are like, bro, the leather jacket was one thing. Are those shoulder pads? You know, like, ha, <laughs> How about guys wearing tights? Only cool in football. You know, it's like these guys are just wearing these super tight pants. But I think the point is, <laughs> water into wine. You know, you what know, he also, water into wine is also taking our average, ordinary worries, and they get turned into worship. I love people who are like, I'm not a, I'm not a good worshiper. Well, I got a quick question for you then, follow-up question. Um, Do you ever worry (laughs) all the time? Oh, you could be a great worshiper. I bet you could be a worship leader. I'm so serious. Whoever worries most can worship the most because my worry now is an invitation to give it to the one who took my average, ordinary life and made it something supernatural. So if he can take my water and turn it into wine, he can take my worry and turn it into worship. And so now I take all of my anxieties and all of my fears and all of my worries and I turn them into adoration. And I say, God, I cast all my cares upon you because you care for me. You don't even know that your water is wine. You came here today all worked up about your worries and you didn't realize it set you up to be a worship leader. (laughs) You know who's the best at leading Christians from stages like this? The people who are most familiar with their brokenness. I'm telling you. Because they get up here, first of all, they realize this is a sacred space because of your trust, and we're the house of God, and this is the church, and we've all been through a lot, and you kind of walk up the stage reluctantly a little bit, like, God, who am I? And trust me when I say I feel this all the time when I see you, I'm like, God, help me, I do not feel like I am qualified. In fact, I know I'm not, which is weird, but I've been appointed to this position because I think I'm really good at talking. So, and everyone likes to hear when I talk, so I'm gonna be the talking guy in the church I could just as easily be the listening guy, I could just as easily um, do different other, but, but this is what God gifted me to do, so I'm gonna do it, but it doesn't make me more spiritual, it doesn't make me more godly, it just is the gift that I have, so I come and I bring it, and I look at you guys, and you look at me, and I'm like, what do you think? Is that a good take on scripture? I think it is, I got some, you know, we got three boards that I answer to, and you know, this isn't really just me, I've got a research team that's helping me, do you guys like this, but I don't know totally either, right? Did you know that? Some of you are like, what? <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing? <laughs> well, I know how to dress, but I don't know how to always explain Scripture. Right? Like, w- wait a minute. We, aren't we just a collection? Of, we're the ultimate motley crew, aren't we? It's the collection of broken people, and we get together, and we're like, are you pretty worried? So am I. Right? Like, <laughs> I love these parents who act like they know what they're doing. You parents, you crack me up. Like you've been a parent before. Relax. Walking around telling us all the good things you did to make your kids so great. Listen, we're not buying what you're selling. <laughs> these are human beings we're dealing with. Human beings who make decisions, and you're like, that is not my child. <laughs> you know, But... It, Aren't we just, sometimes I feel like I'm along for the ride, and I'm like, God, I love that scripture. He remembers that we're dust. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about that point? Remember that point Jesus is making the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and he'll be crucified in a matter of days, and he's, Hosanna, Hosanna, palm trees. It's where we get Palm Sunday, and Jesus makes a statement. He says, you know, um, if these kids, these people don't cry out, I don't think you understand the orientation of the universe. The, lip, the rocks will grow lips, the trees will grow gums and tongues, and they will open up their mouth and declare my goodness, if the humans don't do it. <laughs> One could argue that we are here almost exclusively for worship. as a connection point in our relationship. <laughs> do you know that every time you get worked up and anxious and worried in your water state, that you have an opportunity to go, now God, what do they say? Our bodies are like a big percentage of water. I was gonna use it as a scientific proof of like that we're water, but I can't remember the percentage. The point is, you got a lot of water in you. We can take this average, ordinary water and we can turn it into wine. Because that's what he does. We could say, God, <laughs> you're gonna take care of my kids. Here's my teenagers. One by one, take them. Keep them there if you'd like. <laughs> I'm a good worshiper, I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest, I don't wanna brag. My name Judah means praise, so there's part of it, but, but like I'm good at it because I worry that much. I worry about you. I worry about this church. Remember what Paul said, he goes, persecution and all this, I have the concern of the church on my mind and on my heart. Isn't it ironic, I worry about you? I'm not the savior, I'm not the leader, I'm not the pastor, that's Jesus, but isn't it crazy? We'll worry even about the good stuff. And what I have learned, it can happen in a second, is take that and say, God, this is your church. Build your church. I'm your son, Thank you, I can cast all my cares upon you. I'm telling you, somebody in here is going to have a different week They were going to have because you were worried that you were a worrier and you've been telling everybody you're a worrier. I got news for you. That is a setup for you to be a worship leader. You, instead of being the worry leader in your family, you can be the worship leader in your family and you can turn it into worship. And worship doesn't have to have a melody or a harmony or a beat or a rhythm. It can just come out of your mouth. Aren't we blessed? Isn't God good? I tell you what, man, if it hadn't been for Jesus, Jesus, you wouldn't believe where I would be. And lastly, I'm done. Your water is already wine. Whether you're aware of it or not, God has taken your average, ordinary, broken, sin filled life. And by simply accepting and receiving, you are forgiven. You are transferred. You are set into a new family. You identify with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Water into wine doesn't even do it justice. Jesus has done for you. What he's done for Israel, he's done for you. Lastly, water into wine is fear into love. Fear into love. Fear into love. Fear into love. I gotta... I got to. I got to. I got to show you something that I just saw. I just saw this like last night or this morning. I can't remember. It's probably not on the screen, so I'm going to read it to you from my Bible. I just got done recording a sermon that we're going to air just here at Kirkland next Sunday, and I'm really excited. But I'm going to take a little bit, of, a little bit from that sermon and share it with you now because um, I'm excited about it. Okay, check this out. Check this out. John 15 says which we just read a moment. If the world hates you, know that it also hated me before it hated you. You ever heard that one, John 15, 18? You ever heard people talk about this? We're talking about fear into love, fear into love. Now, I, I have been in so many church services, y- you'd laugh if I told you. I've, been, I've heard so many preachers just in this auditorium, let alone all over the world. And I have heard John 15 quoted so many times, Dr. Paramit. The world's gonna hate us. And all the Christians get all excited. That's right. They'll hate us. Let's go. Right? Because we stand for truth. The world's going to hate us. Because we stand for who we voted for. The world's going to hate us. I don't know if that's what it's talking about. The world's going to hate us, Judah, because we are standing for truth. Wrong. Look at the next, the verse right before, verse 17. You can't make this up. John 15, 17. These things I command you, love one another. Next verse. If the world hates you, don't worry, it hated me too. Jesus, I got a quick question. But why did the world hate you? Because of the way I loved. Wait, What? I loved everyone and not everyone liked that. Wait, what, I I stirred up the church, the synagogue, I literally a couple of times physically threw stuff around. Do you know later in John 15, it actually says that, it says in their scripture, the only direct, now this word world means, it means broken system, and it means in two different psalms, David records a similar phrase, and so we think Jesus can be quoting from that, so it means the whole world, but do you know, specifically in John 15, Jesus referenced the religious world. Did you know that? He says, look, 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 he says, John 15, John 15, it's upside down, I cannot read upside down. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. In their law. In verse 26, 25, Jesus is referencing directly the religious elite that hated him. But we see John 15, and what you read is truth. We're gonna stand for truth. We are gonna stand for truth. And the world is gonna hate us. And so we wear hate around our neck like medals. Yeah. They hate us. Do you know what we're supposed to be hated for? We're supposed to be the people that love people so much that this divisive, broken, Categorizing system known as the world is supposed to go. Who do you think you are? Loving everybody—that's what we do. <laughs> We've turned fear into love, water into wine. Now where there is fear, there is love. Why? 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 First John chapter four. Check this out. First John chapter four. There's no fear in love. Perfect love cast. Now that word is also used when Jesus cleaned up the church. He cast out the fear mongers who told people from different classes, if you didn't have enough money, you couldn't buy a good enough sacrifice so your sins couldn't be forgiven in the synagogue. And Jesus said, no, no, No one, you know the scripture that says that my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations? Do you know that's actually not about prayer meetings praying for nations? It just literally means that everybody from every nation and every ethnicity and every background has every bit of access to God as much as you do. That verse is not about a prayer meeting, it's about the nations coming to their God and the church saying, Open the doors. Come and worship and connect and be forgiven and be loved and be celebrated. Oh God, do we want to be hated for love? Because that's what Jesus was hated for. But we are so afraid. We're so afraid. We're so afraid. What if I don't say the proper western world evangelical statement what if i don't say it all right what if i don't align with the moral majority what if i don't you know adhere to all of the talking points of the mainstream evangelicals in the united states of america oh my brothers and sisters i have no problem with the mainstream evangelical christians for i is one but let me be clear we will not be known for who we are against, we will be known for the fact that we love all. So prepare yourself for where this church is going. Because this church is going to love people that make you uncomfortable. That's what we're going to do. You know why? Because I is those people. I am those people. We are those people. What are we so afraid of? First John chapter four, I didn't even get through the verse. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Amanda, where's where's Amanda? There she is. Amanda. So, so Jesus, a oh, man is hanging on a cross, and he's there for six hours. Six is the number of... man, six water pots. Six hours. And there he hangs. for all to see, stripped naked and bare, beaten to a point where you couldn't even recognize, Is that really the, the Jesus from Nazareth? Is that the great teacher? He was so pulverized and so swollen and so broken, you couldn't even recognize him. Some say, they argue if you could tell if it was an animal or a human being. And while he hung on that cross, he said one statement, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is given to us in the New Testament over and over and over For Jesus will be rejected so that we will be accepted. For his rejection commemorates our acceptance and forgiveness. Can you not see the man on the middle cross? Can you see the punishment he endures? Can you see the stripes on his back which declare your healing? Can you see his body hemorrhaging? Can you not see the punishment that he endures on your behalf? Fear has to do with punishment. Can you not see that the Messiah was punished so you could be accepted? He was punished so you could be forgiven. He was punished so you could be identified with the kingdom of God and the family of God so that you could be seen as a son and daughter of the king. Can we not peer on the perfect love of Jesus and recognize the punishment of God has been once and for all exhausted in his body and what we are left with is wine? So as he is, so are we in this world. My relationship with God is perfect. Do you hear me? My relationship with God is perfect. My standing with God is perfect. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you question that, I want you to appear again on the man on the middle cross. I want you to see the blood. I want you to see how, how swollen and pulverized he is for that punishment paid for fully and completely and totally my access and my acceptance into the family of God. And it is there that I am loved and I am seen. And I am named, and I am numbered, and I am loved, and so are you. No more fear. You hear me? We don't have time for fear anymore, church. People are dying. One out of every 500 of Americans are dead, they say, just from COVID. Now is not the time to draw back. Now is not the time to wonder if we know the truth. Or what the truth really is? The Bible says you shall know the truth. You shall have a relationship with the truth. And that truth who has a name will set you free. So now we live from love. Now we move from love. Now we make decisions based on love. We don't do it based on fear. If one more Christian comes to me and says, Judah, what are you doing in L.A., it's so bad. What are you doing in Seattle, it's so bad. I heard about downtown Seattle, I heard about downtown L.A. Let me be clear, you don't have to ask me to move anymore because where there is pain and where there is loss and where there is judgment and where there is marginalization, that is where we're going to go for we're not afraid. The love of God compels us, Paul says. Have you seen Paul traveling here and there, going through the pains he goes through in the New Testament, the book of Acts, and do you know what he said? Do you know why he did it? Do you know what moved him? Do you know what made him do it? It wasn't morals. It wasn't rules. It wasn't Christian missions. I'll tell you what it was. He said, the love of God moves me. Does it move you? Does it move you? You think your water is just water? No, your water is wine. There's something supernatural. The Spirit of God that gave life to Jesus' body in the grave and resurrected him on the third day. That same Spirit is in your body, energizing your brain, energizing your soul, energizing your physical state so that love can move you. Where many are not loved. So there we will go. I'm going to say it again. People have wondered, Judah, why only once a month? Why are we going online? Because we're going to spend thousands and reach millions. We have spent millions and we've reached thousands for 28 years. The next 28 years, we're going to make such good use of our resource and our time and our energy. And when they say, what if it doesn't work? We're going to say we never considered that. A lady found me at the SoFi Stadium before I went on stage. She said, Are you nervous? And I said, It hadn't even crossed my mind. People are dying. Let the love of God consume you, let go of fear fear of what might happen if your political policy if your specific policy isn't voted in or isn't taken care of i want to start talking about a god who owns a cattle on a thousand hills i want to talk about a god who is the king of kings and the lord of lords and the president of presidents he's in control let man do what they will our god remains and his love endures and we're going to spread his love everywhere we can that's what we're going to do That's what we're going to do. And if you're down for that, this is the right church for you because we're going to do everything short of sin to tell everyone how loved they are by the man on the middle cross. His piercings were for you. His whipping was for you. The blood is for you. Your water can be wine. The rest of your life can be supernatural. You hear me? The rest of your life, Am I the only one? I'm done, I'm done. I'm done i'm so done Amanda cook's already here am i the only one raising teenage boys in 2021 and seeing thinking to myself god if you don't turn my baby boys water into wine there's no amount of parenting i can do to keep these boys from the compromising culture they are growing up in i don't know what to tell them i don't i can't i can't keep them accountable enough god the technological age is upon us i got a 17 year old and a 15 year old and i'm talking to some dads and some moms in here and i hope that you attach your faith to my faith because here's where I'm at as a man of God I'm saying God if you can keep me if you can preserve me if you can watch over me you can take the average ordinary lives of my teenage boys and you can touch them and you can meet with them and you can turn it into wine and they can become the men of God that you've called them to be but it is not by might It is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. I just want to take off every parent in here. You have put upon a cloak almost like you're the Savior, and you're the Messiah, and you're the deliverer of your kids, and I got good news for you. You are not the Messiah of your kids. You are not the Savior of your children. You are not the ultimate rescue of your children. That is God's, and you're a stand-in until the time comes, and they belong to him, and your grandkids belong to him, and your career belongs to him, it's all his. And so, we're going to lean into this moment here with Amanda Cook, who also lives downtown L.A. Thank you, Amanda. We are not leaving the likes of Seattle and L.A. One more person tell me to move and I'll move in even more. I don't know how, I, I, was, I was like, I'll buy another house. And I'm like, no, I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't buy another house, but it's not possible. But we're not going anywhere, are we? What an honor and what a privilege it is to be a representative of the love of the ages to places like Seattle and LA in the ends of the earth. Oh, how he loves us. So here's my prayer for you as Amanda and the team, as we begin to sing all of the cares and all of the worries and all of the fears and all of the anxieties and all of the the the, the, the doctors, uh, 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 what they told you, your diagnosis, all of these things that we came in here today, and the papers you would just serve for the end of your marriage. I want us to put all. We're going to put all that on the ground for a moment, and we're just going to let this moment be what it is. And it's a moment where the created has to has to has to has to connect with the Creator. We got to connect with Him. He is life. He is love. He is strength. He is energy. He is the next step. He is the way. He is the principle. He is the path. He is the power. He is the strength. He is our provider. He is our healer. He is our deliverer. He is our deliverer. This poor man cried out, David says, this poor man cried out and the Lord delivered him out of every one of his troubles. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to cry out. I want it to come from the core of your being. I want you to take these melodies and these harmonies and I want you to turn them into a heart cry today. It doesn't have to be loud. You don't have to be boisterous. I'm just telling you, would you join me in turning everything else off and just letting your soul soak in the person of Jesus who loves you with no end so if you're physically willing and able would you stand to your feet come on church home come on church home he's here he's here